Does anybody have anything before we continue? I was looking forward to the sermon in the sack this morning. If I'm honest, I'm not looking forward to my sermon. (laughs) Some of you won't like it. That's okay, right? The last, what are we up to, 17, 18 days, let's put it that way, the world has had its attention focused on a small part of it. I had been somewhat concerned about this for some time before and had been doing a little bit of studying on it. I think I mentioned the night that it actually touched off. I remember waking up. I'd been to sleep, and I woke up and just couldn't go back to sleep, and it lasted so long, I eventually got up and watched TV, which is highly unusual for me, and that was, that was on. I don't know that this will be collected, as in making sense from one to the other, but I just have what I've maybe appropriately titled some thoughts on war to talk about. So we'll see if they connect together. I want to begin by asking a very simple question that has a very simple yet complex answer. What is the cause of war? Sin. 100%. We lay it at the feet of our sinful nature. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. So because of that fateful decision that Adam made in the Garden of Eden, when sin entered the world and the eyes of them were opened, we have had war almost ever since. What is war? Well, it's very easy to describe. It's death. It's also pride and envy and lust and anger and greed and hatred, and jealousy, and selfishness. And the list could probably go on. And so it's very easy for us to say, well, this is exactly what war is. War is a product, a byproduct, if you will, of sin, because war ultimately, for many people, leads to death, leads to suffering, and leads to misery. Well, what's the opposite of war? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and faithfulness. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. Against such, there is no law. We see that in Galatians. War is simply a reality of a fallen world that we live in. And it will never stop. There will be times of peace, but we will always have a war. In fact, Ecclesiastes tells us, for everything there is a season. Time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. 
a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, and the very last, a time for war and a time for peace. Now, I have some concerns, as many of you do, over what's going on, especially because it could escalate. But we have little control over that, to be perfectly honest. What we do have control over right now today is my own sin nature. That is, in fact, if you have been saved, because that has been crushed. And you can either submit to it, and in your own life have death and pride and lust and envy and anger and bitterness and hatred and jealousy and selfishness, or you can produce the fruits of the Spirit that is what wants to come out of inside of you if you are a believer. That is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And so as we see bombarded every day the images and the news of a war that we have little hope to control, little hope to individually stop, let us be reminded we do have an opportunity today to live among those who we have influence over in the right way, producing the good fruit and not the bad. As I said, I'm not sure how well these all fit together, so I'm going to change gears slightly. Go to Matthew chapter 24. Is this the end of all time? Well, to some degree we can say yes, because we know that at some point it does end, and we know that we're closer now than we were yesterday. Matthew chapter 24 gives us some idea of this, starting with verse 3. It says, And he sat on the mountain of olives, and the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. Now, before we read more, just pause there. Back up just a little bit, because the disciples are asking about something very specific. And if you go to the previous chapter, you see Christ is lamenting or weeping over Jerusalem. Let me just read it, because I think he said this very passionately. Matthew 23, verse 20, uh, 37, it says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those that are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. See, Christ is uh, pleading over this city, and I think by extension over us, how many times has he called us to him and we refuse to do it? And all he wants to do is to put his arms around us to protect us from all the harm that might come, just like as he gives the example, if you've ever seen it, a mother hen has all these little babies underneath her wings. You don't even know they're there until she moves and they all come out. 
And they're there to hide, to protect, to keep safe, to keep warm, to take care of. God wants to do that with us, and we refuse over and over again. And sometimes we'll even go out and kill those who are trying to tell us the good news. And so Christ is saying, oh, Jerusalem, how many times have I wanted to gather you together? And then he's saying, it's not going to go well for you. And picking up with chapter 24, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to him to point out the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, do you see all of these? I'm sorry. You see all of these, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So after Christ is telling his disciples that he's been pleading over Jerusalem, he wants to gather them together. A short time later, while they're leaving the temple, the disciples are saying, look at how amazing and beautiful this temple is. And it was amazing and beautiful. If you've ever seen drawings of what it looked like, it must have been a literal modern marvel. Amazing. Built with precision, built without even any hammers on site. It's quiet when they built it. It's beautiful. It's tall, royal. So the disciples are admiring the beautiful temple. And Christ says to them, you can look at it all you want to, but the reality is in a short time, there won't be one stone left on top of it. That came true. Not too many years later. And still to this day. That's why they go to the Wailing Wall, right? There's that little part of the temple. It's like the basement foundation. That's all that's left. Because Christ was correct. So, he says all these things. And then, right, we pick up on verse 3 with the disciples saying, when is this going to happen? How do we know when the end of the world, the end of the age is going to come? And he picks up with verse 4 and says this. And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. This is only the beginning. It's not even the birth yet. So here's... Some important things to take away from this. First of all, when you are curious about the end, be very cautious that no one leads you astray. This has been done for thousands of years. It is being done today, and it will be done for however long the future goes. Be very cautious that no one stands up and says, I am the Christ, or he is over here, or this is the date that this is going to happen, or this is the way that things are going to happen. Because the Bible tells us that no one knows when the end is actually going to happen. So we must be very cautious to not be led astray. And then we are reminded in verse 6 that we will hear of wars and rumors of wars. One translation adds, continually. As I said, we've always had war. We probably always will have war. And then it says also in verse 6, don't be alarmed or perhaps don't be frightened. Now, I want to pause here just for a minute because I don't want anyone to think that I'm not concerned about the state of affairs in our current world. 
and about the way that it could be escalated. I am, in fact, concerned about that, but not concerned about the end of the world because that's what this is talking about. So when it says don't be worried, don't be concerned, don't be worried and don't be concerned about how the world is going to end, I think it's right and proper to be concerned about a war that is actively going on, but not to the point that I'm worried about the end of the world. There is work for us to do while it is day. You see? All this must take place before the end, but the end is not yet. It says these are only the beginnings of birth pains. The Amplified Version reads verse 7 this way, But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs, of intolerable anguish and a time of unprecedented troubles. So here's my point. It looks bad. It really does. And it likely may get worse, or it may kind of cool out. But either way, while we can be concerned about that and can pray and should pray for peace and for the safety of those who are involved and for proper and right decisions, we should not be fearful and concerned about this being the end of the world because we have no control over it and we know it's coming at some point, you see. That's an entirely different thing to be worried about. Don't look for false prophets because they're going to be here. Don't look for famines and natural disasters because it's going to happen. And don't look for wars and rumors of wars. Why? Because all these things are always happening. See, it's kind of the opposite of what you think. He's not listing these things saying, well, there's a lot of earthquakes, it's getting ready. There's a lot of wars, it's getting ready to end. What he's saying is these things go on all the time. And it's just the beginning of the end. They've always been happening. So don't be alarmed. Instead... I'll turn my page to verse 44, same chapter. It says, Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. I used to say when I was a kid, the only time we could be certain that God wouldn't come back is when someone famous pronounced he would. <laughs> right? Because he's not going to let that person be right. Because no one knows, right? So if someone tells you it's going to be this date, I'm pretty sure it's not going to happen on that date. <laughs> but here's the thing. With wars and rumors of wars. The point that we should be continually worried about is are you ready for that end whenever it does come? It's not the end you have to be afraid of. It's your preparation. That is vitally important. Despite all the wars and rumors of wars, God is still looking to save individual souls to protect you like that hen protects her chicks. Now for the even more difficult part. Romans 12, 18. I read this passage recently. The subtitle, which is not inspired, but is probably fairly accurate to the content, says here in this paragraph, Marks of the True Christian, above verse 9. Let me just read this. So we're talking about instructions for those who are Christians. It says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection 
outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And here's the focus for today. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is probably something I should read like every morning when I get up. Because it is an outline of exactly what I think that I'm struggling and facing with and what to do and what not to do. But where I want to focus today is this part. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, as I demonstrated this morning, and you're probably tired of hearing me say it. I worked in a profession that demanded violence for a time. And there are times that that's okay. In fact, scripturally, I think there's times that it is supported very clearly. But as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. It was uh, almost a game. And I like to tell my students when I teach them this, it was almost a game with me. This may sound kind of funny. To try not to hurt, try not to hurt people. Like when I had a few minutes... When it wasn't so urgent that I had to take some type of action and I could try to talk someone into compliance, it was like this internal game I had. How could I get this person to do what I wanted them to do to stop whatever was going on? Sometimes I was successful. Other times I wasn't, as such as it is with life. It wasn't that I was overabundantly inspired by this verse necessarily, but it was a goal of mine to try not to go in with some type of violent action and hurt somebody if I could avoid it. And sometimes it couldn't be avoided. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. This is how we as Christians are supposed to live. But let's break this down for just a minute. If possible, brothers and sisters, it will not always be possible. It won't. There are times that we will not be able to live peaceably with someone else. It's just the way it goes. Sometimes that means we have to separate from this person. Sometimes that means we have to call in others to help us. Sometimes, and hopefully very rare, it means we have to physically defend ourselves. If possible, it's not always possible. And so far as it depends on you, this is an individual thing, right? We need to seek to avoid the conflict with me and someone else. And we should try to live peaceably. What does that look like? It looks like the fruits of the Spirit, doesn't it? 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, temperance. It, if it's possible, as much as it depends on you individually, we should live peaceably with who? With all, and that includes who? Our enemies. That includes people we don't like. That includes people who are different than us. This is important and vital if we want to avoid these types of things. If at all possible, as much as it depends on us, we should, should uh, strive and seek to live peaceably with all people. Our politicians and leaders really need to know this verse. I'm going to get political for just a second. Do you know the last time that we declared war, as in legally declared a war, was World War II? Do you know that in the 21st century, the United States has been involved in the Afghan conflict, killing 200,000 people? Total have died in that conflict. The Nepal Civil War? But you didn't know about that one. 17,000. Maghreb? I can't even pronounce that one. 18,000. Iraq, estimated about 1 million. Khyber, didn't know about that one, I bet. 16,000. Somalia, we're not really sure. We've been involved in a Libyan conflict, killed about 400,000 people. Syrian civil war, 4,000, not military, civilians documented to have died by the coalition, which we're part of. The Yemen civil war, this is the one I want to talk about for a minute. Anybody know about that one? The Yemen Civil War has been going on since 2014 and has claimed the lives of 377,000 people and displaced 4 million. You've never heard of it. There's an estimated 9,000 civilians killed by who we would call us and our allies. There's 84,000 people who are expected, I'm sorry, 84,000 children expected to die of starvation in this next year. Guess who our ally is in this battle? Al-Qaeda. The U.S. is fighting for and with Al-Qaeda against the Houthis, who are not great people. If you want to go back and do some history books, and I'll just say it's claimed, I don't know this is completely true. In the 70s and 80s, the CIA went over to Afghanistan because we didn't like Russia, interestingly enough, invading Afghanistan. So we trained and equipped and paid for the Mujahideen to fight back, some 40,000 fighters. When Russia eventually gave up, those 40,000 people were left with the training and funds and weapons that we gave them, and eventually they became Al-Qaeda. And I'll just briefly add, and I know I'm stepping out there and I probably should quit. I'll just briefly add, who was it that led a coup in 2014 to replace the at least friendly Russian president of the Ukraine with one who's not? The U.S. Now, I'm not excusing war. What I am is I'm angry about it. And I'm angry that our politicians can't seem to, as much as possible, 
within our power, live peaceably with other people. What can I do about it? As much as it's in my power, live peaceably with those whom I'm around. And pray that our leaders would learn to do the same. There are certainly times when we must and should fight, and maybe even times we must and should fight on behalf of others. But it's not always as simple as we like to make it. It brings me to my next point, my thought on war. Beware moral panics and virtue signaling. Moral panic, what is that? Well, I have a definition for you. Let's listen first. I'll repeat it twice and see if this, you think of anything. A moral panic, a public mass movement based on false or exaggerated uh, preconceptions of information that exceeds the actual threat society is facing. A public mass movement based on false or exaggerated preconceptions of information that exceeds the actual threat society is facing. We've been through a lot of moral panics in this country. Let me just read the next definition. Virtue signaling, the action or practice of publicly expressing opinions or sentiments intended to demonstrate one's good character or the moral correctness of one's position on a particular issue. Why do I bring these up? Because I think we have a real serious problem with them in our country today. Both of them are the results of what I like to call bioptic thinking, as in there's yes, no, right, wrong. There's only two things to do. This is bad. This is good. End of story. We don't care about history. We don't care about who's involved. We don't care about who benefits from anything. We simply choose yes, no, this is right, this is wrong. We stand on that. And then we want to uh, show our uh, virtue by signaling to others this is how we view this thing and joining in the moral panic that may or may not be, in fact, if you follow the definition, not reality. So I'm going to just real quickly give you a couple of definitions or a couple of examples. And those of you who are on social media will know instantly what I'm talking about. If you back up two and a half to three years ago, what was the moral panic and the virtue signaling that everyone was doing? Well, of course, it was LGBTQ plus rights. Everybody had the little icon, the background in their picture for their social media and things like that. That was the big thing, right? Let's put down our pronouns on our email chains and all these types of things. Everyone had to do that. If you were a good person and you cared about this, right? Well, then COVID came along. And all of a sudden now, if you're a good person, you will never leave your house, you'll wear a mask, you get your shot, et cetera, et cetera. Real quick, did you know that last week there were just as many people that died from that as there were a year ago? And amazingly, you don't hear anything about it. See, this is the definition of a moral panic. So we had COVID, that started off, and everyone was really concerned about that. But then we got distracted, and then it comes to Black Lives Matter. And you couldn't say all lives matter. You couldn't question Black Lives Matters, where it came from, whether or not it was Marxist, the people who founded it. No, you had to have a sign, right? You, the, all the businesses had to have signs saying Black Lives Matter. And that waned over the summer, and COVID kicked back up. And then we see, again, virtue signaling about everyone showing pictures of themselves, at least on my social media, my, my professional social media. Everyone's by themselves in their office, their profile pictures, wearing a mask. What? Just to prove that you're a good person. 
My concern is that we're waning into moral panic and virtue signaling on Ukraine. If you dare question the conflict in Ukraine, like I did a second ago, gone. What about climate change? Because that one's next too. We're already making moves on this. In fact, even like last week they were announcing worse than the issue in Ukraine is climate change. It's too late already, so we have to do drastic things. Brothers and sisters, be very careful when you adopt the ideas, concepts, virtues, and values, and topics that are important of everyone who we are enemies against. If the whole world says this is right, this is the point as Christians we go, hmm, let's think about this for a minute. Because we are not supposed to be part of the world. We are supposed to be different. We have other things that we are concerned about and care about. We should not and cannot fall in line or get guilted into a moral panic as in a public mass movement based on false or exaggerated information. And we should not fall victim to virtue signaling when in fact there is no or little virtue in the things that we're talking about. John 17, 14, 15. I have given them your word and the, word ha- the, the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. What would Jesus think about COVID or BLM or LGBTQ or climate change or the war in the Ukraine? He would point to himself because he is the only answer. And I'm not saying we never, ever get involved with other things that are going on in our society. But first and foremost, we are not of this world, so let us stop acting like it. And let us stand on principle of the scripture of who God is. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good, acceptable, and perfect. I'll just go along with everybody else. 1 Peter 1.14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. Psalms 1.1, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. There may be times that we hold hands in solidarity and unity with people we wouldn't expect to. But we need to be very careful when we do it. We need to make sure that ultimately, We're at my next point, which is a reminder. It's not about whether God's on my side or your side. It's about whether I'm on God's side. Now, as I said at the beginning, this is, I wasn't excited to preach this one. And I know it's been in jest and in love, but you know the one sermon that keeps getting mentioned over and over again to me, the only one? God is not on your side. Because he's not on your side. (laughs) Just a reminder, I won't repeat it. Joshua chapter 5, Israel, the Hebrews, are getting ready to go to a big battle. Joshua goes up on a hill for one of two purposes or both, to pray or to survey the battlefield below him. And when he arrives, you see a man standing there with his sword drawn. So Joshua draws his and walks up and says, Are you for us or against us? 
And I'll paraphrase slightly. Well, let me just read it. And Joshua said unto him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. And here's the Ben Stickle interpretation. I'm not on either side. I am on God's side. We can twist and turn all we want to and use any logic we want to explain why God must believe this, why God is on our side this time. Well, we're just and holy, therefore God must be with us. Or there's suffering, therefore we must take X, Y, Z action. But the reality is starkly this. There is God's way, and there is the wrong way. And our only sole purpose in life is to be with God on His side, not to try and pull God over to my beliefs or my side. And over and over again, all throughout history, we try and argue and explain away and get God to agree with us. It doesn't work that way. God is truth. God is mercy. God is just. God is everything. And I either need to be with him or the reality is I'm against him, no matter how much I want to try and argue it otherwise. We may want God on our side, but God isn't on our side. He's on his side because that's the only side. And so we need to look around and ask whether we're following him. So here's my conclusion. We need to be ready. As Matthew tells us, we don't know the day or time. We need to be ready. Ready for whatever it is that the world has coming next. Ready for the end, not worried about it, not concerned about it, but ready for it. How do you get ready for it? You start by knowing who God is. You start by being saved, and then you live a life with the fruits of the Spirit budding out of you. We need to not be anxious about the end. We need to live at peace with as many people as possible. We need to avoid taking part in moral panic and virtue signaling over things that are not virtuous. We need to be transformed from who we were into who God wants us to be. And we must remember to be on God's side, not try and squeeze him in to mine. We must be ready. We should not be anxious about the very end of the world. We should live at peace as much as possible as it depends upon us. We must beware of the moral panics and virtue signaling that our society wants us to partake in. It's almost sickening. Sometimes I wonder if they sit around and like roll a dice. Like, what are we going to get everybody in a panic about this week? Can you feel that? I hope you can. Because when you feel it, do everything to avoid it. We must be transformed, not conformed. Go back and listen to that sermon. Not inside of a box conformed to what the world wants, because if that's the case, then we'll always be changing our avatars and our social media to support whatever it is we're supposed to. We'll never say the wrong thing, and we most certainly will not worship God the way he intends. We must be transformed by the renewing of our mind to be more like him so that we know what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will. And we must remember to make sure that we are on God's side. Let me close with this. Where is God's side 
in the current war. I'm not so sure that I know. Other than, there are a lot of very innocent people on both sides of this line that are really hurting. Both sides. Where is God's side when it comes to sin? It's a little easier for me to answer. Where is God's side when it comes to salvation? It's a lot easier for me to answer. And the reality is this. If you have not been saved, the Bible tells me and tells you that you are in fact an enemy of God. You're so far removed from being on God's side, you're actually on the opposite side. You are his enemy. And so as we close today, as we hopefully leave and consider and step back from the things of this world, step back from the moral panic, step back from the virtue signaling, and think about how we should be transformed, to think about how we should be living in peace as much as it is possible with us, to think about how we should be living out the fruits of the Spirit, let us make sure you ask yourself the question, am I on God's side? Or am I His enemy? Because if there's anybody in history that you don't want to be the enemy of, it's the one who made everything. And that's the reality, sad as it is, for a huge majority of the world today. And also the reason that we have the problems in the world that we have today. It started with disobedience in the garden. It's been passed down from generation to generation. We continue to sin. The only way out is our faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ.